0: Alvaro Jaramillo is a true world citizen. As you hear him speak, you will hear this heartbeat and passion come through loud and clear. Born in Chile, raised and educated in Toronto, Canada, and now living in California for several decades, Alvaro represents a unique blend of birding experiences. In one of those twists of history, it was a bird book left in a summer cottage, a Peterson field guide no less, that changed and shaped his life. And it's now one of his own bird books, The Birds of Chile, that is shaping and changing the lives of young birders in South America. It is my privilege to welcome Álvaro Jaramillo, a significant columnist, an author of multiple books, an expert birder, and a worldwide field guide, to the voices of birding history.
1: I started birding up north of Toronto in, in what we call cottage country.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty bad at remembering years and uh, numbers one of those things that I've never been good at, so I couldn't tell you when I started, but oh, roughly, I was 11-year-old. Oh. I okay. was, yeah, 11, about 11, 12, something like that, and that's where I started with uh, somebody's binoculars that they'd left there, and a, and a Peterson field guide, and a canoe. <laughs> and that was that was it. It was summer, and it, I think it's pretty common all, I'm not sure, all over Canada, but at least in, in the Ontario, that people retreat to the north where it's a little cooler, and and there's more things to do in the summer, fishing and walking and sun and water. There's thousands of lakes. It's a thing to do over there. And we always did it, partially because my dad was always fishing. Eventually, I would get a little bored, you know, of, of the fishing. And, and that's how it the birds took over, because I had something to do that wasn't always fishing. Because of the fishing, again, we would always go to these big fishing and sportsman shows, things. And so we went to one of them. And, like, I remember, like, in the... The third floor sort of where, you know, none of the real good stuff was happening that everybody was interested in. There was this big set of, you know, local groups and things. And one of them was the Toronto Junior Field Naturalist. And they had a, a tank with, um it was a little snapping turtle that was in there in the mud. And they said, can you find the turtle? And I, you know, I went in and I was like, yeah, it's right there, you know. And they said, well, how'd you see it? Well, its nose is sticking out. You can see the nose. So I think they would do this to all the kids. And they said, whoa, you know, you should be a naturalist. <laughs> And so I went to the meetings and it was all kids and we would meet at the Royal Ontario Museum. So we would go downtown and there was a you know a lot of kids. I, I mean, I imagine probably over a hundred oh something my. kids and we, we all separated out into different interests. You had to buy pick mammals. We would talk about mammals and have a field trip to the local park and look at squirrels or something. And then I found that a little boring. And so then I went to the rock and mineral group and I was there for a while and that better field trips, you go to quarries and pick at things and find all sorts of neat rocks. And then eventually I realized the biggest group and the one that seems to be the most fun was the bird group. So mm-hmm. then I joined the bird group and I always thought like, uh, I kind of know birds. So I don't know if I want to be in the bird group because I could learn more doing the other things, you know, but it was fun. And very quickly, I sort of probably within a couple of few months, I got really into looking for more birds. And then the leader of the group, you know, each group had an adult sort of invited a few of us to go sort of further afield. And then we would just sort of, you know, plow into his car on the weekends and go finding other birds elsewhere. So that's Mm -hmm. how it sort of got rolling. And what was just a, coincidence is just randomly realized that, you know, one of the other kids knew birds because we were throwing a ball and a, and a Baltimore Oriole flew over and he looked at it and he goes, hey, that's a Baltimore Oriole. And I, you know, I thought he was like from outer space, like nobody knew that, you know, that kind of information, you know? Right. And I, I sort of said, do you know birds? And he said, yep. And we became friends and I just completely, again, out of the blue, a third guy in our school was into birds. And we then just sort of started hanging out, looking for birds together. And weirdly enough, I mean, we've all become biologists and two other guys actually work together now in a firm, you know, biological consulting firm. So they stuck with it just as I did. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How did you then decide to pursue it further?
1: It basically sort of took over my life because, you know once you know I was into the birds and you start meeting you know adults that are birders and stuff and you realize that you're on par with their abilities and you're just a kid you realize like wow like I'm as good as these people who've been doing it you know for for 20 years so you just become a little bit more obsessed with it because you realize it's sort of your thing (laughs) and then you just sort of go from there into well you know what kind of jobs could I get eventually that could be related to birds and, and and uh, what other projects can I do? And relatively early on, I started getting jobs to survey birds and, and you know, went to uh, learn how to go bird banding at uh, Long Point Bird Observatory, which now is called Bird Studies Canada. You know, so it's a, it's a big, it's sort of like the, I mean, it's older than, than Point Reyes, in fact. So it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's been around, it might be the oldest bird observatory in, in North America. Absolutely. Yeah, and at, at that point, I, you know, I was probably 13 or 14 or something like that, you know, wanted to go learn how to band. And I was too young, basically. So the director, David Hustle, was his name. He somehow made a. He just. Um, I don't know if he talked to people or what, and asked if I was mature enough to do this. And but they let me in. So I, mm-hmm. I became the sort of one of the the youngest people at that time to, to go and and do their banding program and stay and learn the band and they for I think it was two weeks going out to. Check nets and and do the bird stuff, and it was it was pretty cool. I mean, mm. I still remember going out there and, and doing that, you know, and just sort of uh, how how amazing it was to be sort of out in the middle of nowhere without no, you know, without electricity and banding and getting up and seeing right. the migration and and all that. So as a as a kid, when you realize adults are actually talking to you like you actually um, know what you're talking about <laughs> that helps a kid you know think that you know this is sort of a worthwhile activity to sort of continuing you sort of it feeds on to itself in that you're getting positive reinforcement and somehow people are telling you that you you have some level of skill at it we had a uh, multiple nature or bird clubs in toronto the field naturalist you need know, it was sort of like the audubon society you would just pay your dues and you would she would get in there. But there was this other club, and some of the old sort of in northeastern cities all had these bird clubs. It's sort of the old school where you were elected as a member, and you had to go and, you know, sort of go to several meetings and get to know the membership, and it was sort of like, it really was sort of, you know, the epitome of the old boys club, right? You look at it at today, in sort of today's world, it wasn't all old people, it wasn't all men, uh, but it had been. That was the original, um, mode of this club when it started way back. But it was kind of a, you know, to me, it was a big deal to go to the TOC, the Toronto Ornithological Club. And we'd go there and see what people were talking about. Often it was about travel somewhere, amazing people showing old slides of what they had seen and so forth. And after I'd gone a few times, you know, the Hugh, the the person who actually I'd met the uh, junior field actress with all the kids, uh, he was a member of this club and he suggested I should join. So they put me up for election and so forth. And I got in and I was, again, kind of proud that I was this kid. I probably wasn't like... 14 wow. or something like, that. yeah, about yeah. 14. And he, he said, you know, you're the youngest person ever elected to this club, you know? And I was thinking like, well, that's, that's pretty wild you know and then you meet more people you meet people who are biologists you meet people who are hardcore lister types you meet folks that are doing kind of interesting surveys that they've concocted and it was a good range of people those that were interested in bird identification and always every month I would go to the the meetings and learn something new and you know as, as far as meeting interesting people it was I'm old enough that I was able to meet some sort of really old timer at that you know people who were in their you know, 70s, 80s at that point who were, you know, really quite influential in the entire business of nature study and birding, you know, in Ontario uh, going way back. So I sort of caught the tail end of that early period and, and then sort of the transition to this modern period, we could call it. Huh. I mean, I met Fred Bodsworth. He was a good friend, the person who wrote Last of the Curlews about the Eskimo Curlews. And he's mm. just a great guy. also to meet somebody who, at least in Canada, was really famous, you know, okay. Right, <laughs> and they're just real nice folks. That was all interesting to me that there was this lineage of history with, in the same way that sort of other kids were following hockey, to them there were sort of the old pros and the sort of all-stars yeah. from the past that I was able in the birding world at least to meet these people. That was great. Even though we were at that point, Toronto was you know, not the city it is now, so we were a little bit more isolated, kind of independent of the sort of American birding scene, which was a little different.
0: Not a bad time to grow up with a burger. Well, Alvaro, talk about what birding led to in your life. How did that really get going?
1: For me, I I was getting more interested in birds and nature I I was also being pulled more into biology and trying to understand nature and I decided pretty early on I mean probably by the time I was 16 or something I was gonna be a biologist and I would be at that point in time also when you're younger you're not as creative or don't know what's available for you and also maybe even that time in sort of history there was less available so I thought the only thing that I could really do was become a university professor Mm -hmm. and and just go and, you know, study birds somehow. I didn't even know what that meant. It seemed, sounded good. So I I went and did all of my, you know, high school and coursework, thinking about going to university and and becoming a biologist. And there was a fun bit that that did happen kind of in between that and sort of what a lot of kids call the gap year and was really common for a lot of students in Canada to go and, you know, spend a year, traveling in in Europe or, you know, end your school early or something like that. We had a system back then where you could actually, you know, we had an extra grade and that was prepping you for university in in Canada. They actually have gotten rid of that since then. But at that point, you know, you, you could take all your credits in that last year and do them more quickly if you wanted and get out of school six months early. So that's what I did. I decided I would go travel and also go back to see my family in Chile, which I had not been back to since I was a kid. I went to meet, you know, my cousins and so forth, but also to go birding. So I I finished early, went out there and and started actually with Hmm. my first visit to anywhere in South America with binoculars was to Asuncion in Paraguay, a place where nobody goes to because the plane stopped over there. So I think I stopped for a week or so and I went to Iguazu Falls and Mm -hmm. hitchhiking around and looking for birds in, in a time where there were no books. There were some books, but most of the birds were described rather than having a picture you could look at. It was a ton of fun just trying to Sort out looking at a flycatcher and, and what it's doing and what's happening and, you know, just writing everything down in notebooks and then going to these written descriptions and, you know, reading hundreds of them to try to figure out which bird was the one that I'd just seen. <laughs> so right, it, right. Yeah, that, so I, I did that, then went to Chile and, and really sort of started uh, looking at the birds there and thinking, you know what, I, I really need to think about eventually doing a field guide to the birds of Chile. That's when wow. I first thought about that. And I was, ah. Uh, that point, what, 17, something like that. Yeah. And came back, uh, started school. I started in a place called the University of Guelph, which is sort of like Mm UC Davis, very biology, veterinary school and agriculture. But um, after my first year, I I decided to change, switch over to uh, University of Toronto, which I thought was a little bit more into the uh, biology of sort of evolution and ecology and things that I thought were really interesting. While Guelph, I thought was more um, applied, which I was less interested in at the time. So, mm. so yeah, you know, uh, University of Toronto is where I eventually ended up also doing my master's. It was great. The, the whole idea of, you know, going and becoming a university, university professor was all sort of going pretty well. You know, I started doing research things and, and writing papers and this and that and met great teachers there who became good friends over the years. and It wasn't until much later when I was doing my PhD, which was at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, where things started sort of falling apart. I just didn't like what I was doing. I was studying the economics of foraging and leafcutter ants. I was doing all my fieldwork in Ecuador and I didn't really like the project and I was sort of realizing that, you know, it sort of left the bird world because a lot of folks had told me that, you know, you just don't want to be a bird guy if you're a biologist. You want to be doing something that has, you know, these interesting questions that you're trying to answer and so forth. And in the end, I was more drawn to the bird than, you know, than the questions. So while I was doing my PhD, I started writing this book on on blackbirds and um, my masters had been on cowbirds in South America and Argentina and a really interesting kind of crazy situation where the cowbird there that has sort of one major host not only parasitizes that host the bay wing so this screaming cowbird actually when it hatches it mimics everything about the bay wing it looks like it it sounds like it it's just the most amazing thing to see live and then when it fledges and it's all grayish brown with rusty wings, just like the bay wing hose. As soon as it fledges and it's independent, it molds all of its feathers and becomes black. It's almost like it pulls off its, its fake, you know, <laughs> coloration. It's
0: like, yeah, yeah. And,
1: it's cloak and, and it uncovers what it really is. That was so amazing to have been able to see all that. And I was so thrilled with this group of birds. I just started writing a book on them. And what happened in the end is various things all kind of came together at the same time. My girlfriend at the time in Vancouver, the company she was working at, wanted to move to the Bay Area. I was unhappy with my PhD. I was writing this book. So I just left my PhD, just sort of Mm. dropped out and finished the book, moved to the U.S. and really sort of gave up on that whole academia and started trying to figure out what to do. It's funny, you know, it it all has come together in the end, but trying to become sort of a professional bird person, you you don't know really how to do it. When I was in Vancouver, I was teaching some classes on birding and met this person there who was starting up a tour company, but he didn't quite know how it all worked. You know, he just knew that there was sort of this potential business opportunity. I sort of took his ideas and sort of revamped them to what I thought Mm -hmm. would work. And then um, he started the company, and I was the first guide to the first tours, and it's called Eagle Eye Tours, and it's still going. He sold the company eventually, but that company that started back then is still functioning, going strong. And from there, I started thinking of bird tourism as a potential avenue of you know, work. I was doing also the, the writing. It took a while, but I started realizing that the writing and doing the books and so forth, it doesn't really compute in the earnings because it's so time intensive that whatever money you make in a sense you know if you're really being cold about it it's not, it's not good business to to be writing books but if you have it in conjunction with something else like birding tourism or trying to build up some kind of expertise to then do some consulting is it's a good thing to do and I so sort of, I sort of continued with books as well as by touring writing articles and then eventually incorporated some biological consulting and, and more recently it's birding consulting nature touring consulting so it, it all has come together but it wasn't like a, <laughs> it wasn't very much a plan as as much as you know hmm this might work
0: how long ago did you start the pelagic trips
1: sort of on my own i haven't been doing it 10 years yet so it's probably closing in on 10 years probably the First ones where it might have been 2010 or 11, something like that when I moved out here and I started going on Pelagics I enjoyed them. I thought they were really interesting. And the truth is that I'd been doing and organizing Pelagics from before I moved here is I'd been doing them in Chile for tours. So my first Pelagic ever was on a little boat in Chile when I was seventeen years old. And then <laughs> I started in the yearly or some you know, sometimes it wasn't quite once a year trips to Chile. For the tours Originally, I would, I would arrange all of them and sort out the boats and figure all the stuff out and put it together. And at that point, even in, in Chile, there, there were no organized pelagics. There were fishing boats tourism boats and you found somebody who um, could take you out. And it was such an odd thing at the time that Mm -hmm. many years later when we were working on the bird book and we we went out as a team, me and the two artists, Peter and Dave, to northern Chile in the winter, times that, you know, we hadn't been there just to experience the distributions and so forth and try to see some things we needed to see for the book. We found a boat up in northern Chile that would take us out. And the captain was the head of the sort of the fishing kind of Cooperative there. And he was really well connected all the way up and down in Chile. And he said, I've heard of you. It was so odd and weird that the fishermen were talking about this and they gotten to be sort of national news. There's some weird guy that comes out that communicated throughout the country about this weird situation of birders on boats. And now in Chile, there are regular projects being organized by friends of mine. But it was great moving here because I really enjoyed that type of birding. And I found it to be so cutting edge and and also just exciting. You never knew what was gonna happen and anything could happen, you know. So I started going out on trips here by different groups and eventually on Debbie's boats. And, you know, maybe after a couple of trips, He sort of said, hey, you know, why don't you come out as a volunteer bird spotter on trips? And that opened up a few more opportunities. And eventually, the San Francisco Bay Bird Observatory wanted to do a fundraiser for their fall fundraiser. And I organized that. And then Sequoia Audubon Society, and this was sort of a little, maybe a couple of weeks earlier or something. We wanted to go out and look at the birds here in our county in Half Moon Bay, which hadn't been done for a long, long time. So all of the birding boats were going out of Monterey, Santa Cruz, or Bodega Bay. Mm -hmm. And Half Moon Bay was just blank. So during that entire time I'd lived here, I never was able to go on a boat from my sort of home port. And we organized those two trips. And that's how it started. And the crazy thing was on the first boat, that we did we found a white chin petrel which was like the rarest of the rare you can think of Mm. and then the next boat we found a short-tailed albatross which was also a fantastic rare bird so we just sort of started off with a bang and then Mm. now you know we're doing about 18 trips a year so it's kind of kept on going and it you know it's fun we keep it relaxed mellow and and informative and fun on the on the boat
0: so you you also lead trips all around the world
1: Mostly in in Latin America, but recently I've kind of busted out of that. You know, we now are going to Bhutan and Japan and next year, South Africa, also with, with other guides we've organized Taiwan and I love seeing places over and over and over again that that I'm really comfortable with but also now seeing interesting places I'd I'd always just sort of thought hmm you know I I don't do that I do Latin America but I've broken out of that (laughs) that box
0: and you're still writing
1: yeah yeah um, yeah Birdwatcher's Digest is is sort of the consistent article I, I write on bird identification and write some articles for Audubon, their their online presence. And supposed to do a book on birds of Patagonia. That's not, you know, I wish it was going a little bit more quickly than it is, but because I have so much going on, sometimes things slow down. That'll be fun. It'll be with photographs. So, So, yeah, keep at that. And uh, writing can be very good for somebody who, writing about bird identification, for example, for somebody who wants to explain later in the field, people why something is what it is. You're sort of teaching it mm-hmm. on paper, and that simplifies a lot of what might be kind of fuzzy in your head. It kind of crystallizes it. So I find that's really useful.
0: How did you get so good at that?
1: You know you know how when people say, oh, you know, if, if you learn two languages, your third one's way easier, <laughs> and the fourth one comes a little easier. It's, it's like that. You, so many um, different groups of birds and places that you sort of struggle through, early on and you, you start figuring them out. And then once you sort of have them figured out, putting in the new pieces from a new place or a new set of birds, and it becomes easier and easier. So so that idea of the 10,000 hours, you know, of just getting expertise by, by you know, doing it for a long period of time, you know, I, I might've put in my first, 10,000 hours before I was, you know, 17. I just, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of, it, it's, uh, it's, I think that, that's just the key is experience. You just mm-hmm. have seen so many things that you have context for everything. Even if it's something you've never seen before,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can put it in some kind of con- context that simplifies it for you. And you go, uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's this or I, It looks like that, you know, or it reminds me of X. Um, Yeah, I don't think it's magic, really. It's just, uh, you know, know, the best thing for birding is getting into it when you're a kid. (laughs) Mm.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, you've done a lot. Uh, You've authored three books, uh, you write regularly, you've received the Eisenman Medal of the Linnaean Society of New York, you started and run a hopefully successful birding and nature tour company. And, you know, when you think back on making the decision 25 years ago uh, to go in a different direction, what, looking back now, are you most proud of?
1: Well, a couple of Things I guess that kind of come to mind. One of them is a sort of a separate to the proud being proud of something. Is that I was interviewed by somebody who was doing um, a study on people who who are driven by passion. So how they sort of create work out of their passion and. Um, He said that my story of sort of, it's pretty normal that you, you know, you go and you go down one line, you feel like you failed at academia, and then you sort of regroup and you do this and do that. But I guess never giving up on what some people would say is a dream. But you know, they might have just said driven by this passion for one thing you're keenly aware of as the part of your life that you want to be there. And hopefully, you know, be there in a major way, which is birds, nature, and so forth, that not having sure. given up on it is something that I feel lucky about because I could have. I was, you know, quite good in school. I, I was with the pre-med students. I could have gone that way. I could have been a doctor. I could have been, you know, an engineer or some other thing that would have been a good living and maybe even better living <laughs> financially than what I'm doing, but I, I didn't. I just knew that that wasn't me. So that was that was important, and you don't know that at the time, especially when people around you're saying, you know, you're, you're kind of insane. You shouldn't do this. This is risky. Or you could do so much better <laughs> for yourself, and whatever that might that better might be. Two things that come to mind. One of them is recently, you know, in the last three four years, I've been working with National Audubon and other folks in Colombia and Belize and different places to train people to become birding guides and interpreters or try to create their own nature-oriented businesses. And the idea is for these people who are often in in more rural sites to be able to improve their economy Mm -hmm. through nature and then from economic improvement have nature be preserved because it suddenly has value to everybody around them. That's been great because, you, you know, you see you see the potential and this last time I was there talking and one of the local guides asked me the weirdest question that sort of took me back because I'd, I'd just given them several hours over the last few days of intense training on guiding on how to put together an Excel sheet to price a trip or everything, you know? Yeah. And he said, why are you telling us all this? Like, why? And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, said, well, if we had sort of interesting people from Colombia, they would probably just not tell us quite everything. They would tell us enough, but not everything, because they would be afraid that we would take their job. And I thought, well, I just want you to succeed. I just want, mm. I want you to have the chance to do the most amazing thing in the world, to actually work, have a nice life, be able to work with nature, and in turn, also preserve the natural environment that you love so much. The other one is our guide to the birds of Chile. My lineage is Chilean for many generations, and we move to another country. I pick up this odd thing of watching birds, and then I go back and start seeing the entire country through the birds and, you know, meeting my relatives and seeing new places and the whole thing through my my traveling to learn the birds of the country. And then putting it down on paper that the primary artist, Peter Burke, has been my friend since we were kids. You know, he was one of the early people I met when, you know, I was probably 14 years old and I saw him sketch something and I said, one day we're going to do something, you know, and we did. We, in fact, the <laughs> The Blackbirds book, we worked on it together. He did, did all the illustrations. And then the Chile book, he was the major illustrator, and Dave Beadle did a third or a quarter of the illustrations. At the time, I was thinking just the birds. It's going to make people birders' lives way more simple to come here and be able to figure out what is what. But we put it out in Spanish, like about a year after the English version, and that's been revolutionary in Chile. When I give a talk over there, you know, hundreds of people come out, and they tell me that it changed their lives. And and it's cool. We were just thinking about the birds and the deal and the wing bars and all this stuff that is not as meaningful as the people who use the book. And eventually get huge amounts of rewards just being outside, enjoying things, or even, you know, people tell me stories about them going out with their dad, you know, and looking at birds and not necessarily knowing what was what. Then they get this book and then their whole relationship to nature changes and then they suddenly know what they're looking at. That's been amazing to feel like I've really put something back to this world, at least in the bird, little bird world. The growth in birding in Chile has been Fantastic. So I I just didn't see that coming.